I'm Lieutenant Joe Pangaro. I've been a cop for 27 years. I like to say I got a backstage pass to life. Well, guess what? I got some tickets for you. So come on in, pull up a chair, turn up that volume, and let's go. Chasing Justice is on. Hey, everybody. I'm here to spend the afternoon with you. So what's going on out there in the world? Let's talk about it. Well, let me tell you this. America is at war. Now, that's, I, I don't say that lightly. I don't say that uh, to uh, you know, make a headline. I don't say that to infuriate people or to scare people. I think it's, it's technically a reality. If another country attacks the United States militarily with weapons, because after our troops, our citizens, that would be an act of war. If they were to uh, sink one of our ships, that's an act of war. I think if you blockade a port, that can be considered an act of war. Well, how about taking citizens hostages? Would that be an act of war? On October 7th, not only were the innocent people of Israel attacked, brutalized, murdered, and taken hostage, they also killed and took American citizens hostage. Right now, this very day, as you listen to my voice, there are American citizens that are being held hostage in God knows what kind of conditions underneath Gaza, in those tunnels or wherever they're keeping them. And we're just moving right along, heading towards the holidays. Okay, let's do our thing. When we have Americans that are being held hostage. We have Iranian proxies that are firing on American military personnel in Syria and in Iraq. And we dance around this, uh, this whole uh, concept of, well, they're Iranian, uh, they're Iranian proxies. It's really the Iranians. Well, either we know that stuff or we don't. Now, here's the problem. We have an incompetent government currently, and the whole world sees it. The whole world knows it. That's why these people are doing what they're doing. Joe Biden and his administration are incompetent, even if he was 60 years old and had his faculties about him. He is incompetent because their policies, their philosophy of governing is incompetent. You know, we've talked about this in recent episodes. If a bully picks on you and you give in to the bully, the bully will come back, not to be nice with you and be your friend, but to bully you and hurt you again. Now, I remember my father telling me when I was in grade school, some kid was picking on me. And he said, well, listen, if you're going to handle it yourself, I think that's okay. Just remember, if you let this person bully you, they will continue to bully you. So even if you're, if you're going to end up getting in a fight, you're better off standing up for yourself and showing the bully that you will not just give in. So if the bully's going to bully you, take your best shot. Hit him as hard as you can and see what happens. And I think there's truth to that. Now, I think that was different, a different world, a different time. Uh, when people would say a thing like that, it's almost shocking today to think of a parent saying a thing like that. Well, that's BS, because I told my boys the same thing. If someone's going to raise their hand to you, and they mean to hurt you or injure you in some way, then you protect yourself. 
Now, the key here, of course, in a uh, society ruled by justice and what's correct, if somebody goes to punch you, you can punch them twice as hard so that they don't punch you again. If they hit you several times, you hit them several times harder. So they get the message to stop. Even built into our uh, use of force rules for all of our law enforcement personnel, there are uh, it's called the use of force continuum. That means uh, we have set the rules and the law for using force against citizens by law enforcement. And on that continuum, it starts out in the beginning with verbal. You know, if you are a police officer and you are placing someone under arrest, you tell them you are under arrest. Put your hands behind your back. And your only response as a citizen, whether you think you should be arrested or not, whether you think you did something wrong or not, the only appropriate response is to submit to that arrest. You get handcuffed and you go to court and you fight with it in court. But the continuum starts like this. I tell you, put your hands behind your back, you're under arrest, and you refuse, and you go to pull away, you go to run, you go to take off. I get to put hands on you. Now, you don't get to put hands on me because I'm arresting you. Your obligation as a citizen is to uh, submit to the arrest when you're told by law enforcement, a legitimate officer. My job is that I'm allowed, by the use of force laws in almost every state in the country, I am allowed to use the same or one level higher force to obtain my legitimate law enforcement need. So if I say you're under arrest, you say no and pull away, I can grab you. So you see all these videos of people, the officers, you're under arrest and they, they, they won't submit and the officer grabs them, get your hand off of me, don't you touch me, don't you touch me. That's nonsense. It's legitimate for the officer to then take control of you physically because you're not submitting to the arrest. Now you swing at the officer. The officer is allowed to respond back and hit you because you swung on the officer. Your officer is allowed to defend themselves and to use force that's necessary to bring you into compliance and take you into custody. Now, people don't like that in our modern world, but back in the day, people understood it. You didn't raise your hands to a cop. You knew what was going to happen. But, you know, I don't want to digress off my, my commentary here. So I get to put my hands on you. If I'm telling you you're under arrest and you resist, you swing on me, I get to hit you. I can even use implements or tools at that point to assist me. Uh, in many states, at the point of resistance, when the person resists, not only can I put hands on them, grab them, physically take control of them, but if I choose, I could use a chemical agent like a pepper spray. When you refuse, I can now spray you with pepper. Uh, and the whole purpose is not to cause punishment, not to cause pain, but the pepper is painful and it's uncomfortable. It's not a form of punishment. It's a form of compliance. You see, you refuse. I, I can either put hands on you, which could get even worse for both of us, or I spray you with the pepper, which overcomes you, and then I can take you into custody. Now, you pull out a bat to come after me. I don't have to pull out a baton and fight you like a sword fight with batons to see who wins, I'm allowed to match or go one level higher than you. So you pull out a bat, which could kill me as a police officer, I am allowed to then resort to my sidearm, to deadly force. And that is how the continuum goes. Now, you are supposed to work your way through 
the levels of force and the use of force. Uh, but you, you could certainly go from, hey, you're under arrest, someone pulls a knife on you, and you shoot them. And that would be a proper step up the use of force continuum. So with that concept in hand, let's think about what's going on here, the use of force, and what does that mean to us as a nation. Uh, and I don't mean to divert that way, but I think we, we need to understand the bigger concept. So when I say America is at war, it's because American military personnel have been fired on. Uh, there's been damage to our property and American citizens have been taken hostage by a foreign government. That would be Hamas. You know, they are in charge. They are the political entity of the uh, Gaza Strip. They are in charge. They are the government. They were elected by the people and therefore they're a government and they have killed and taken hostage innocent Israeli citizens and innocent American citizens. Therefore, that is an act of war. The Iranians, uh, as using their proxies, now that use of proxies is historical. Uh, the United States, uh, we have used proxies in our fight against the Soviet Union back in the day. And the Soviet Union has used proxies to fight America because if we got into a big battle with the Soviet Union at the time, it could lead to nuclear war. So we tried to fight things out uh, on the ground using proxies. It's, it's a concept that has gone on forever. This whole concept, though, of Iran using proxies, we are tiptoeing around this. We are pussyfooting around this. Either our intelligence personnel knows for sure that this is happening or they don't. Now, this is why I say they are incompetent. With the technology we have today, they can read a license plate from outer space. They can pick up uh, radio signals off of everything. They can cut through encoded channels. Why, just talking about uh, the use of force here, my watch is probably listening to me or my Alexa and is going to send me uh, advertisements later on because the technology is there for it to listen here and say, oh, he's talking about weapons. Let's send him stuff about holsters and guns and all kinds of stuff. So the technology exists right now, I would believe, for a competent intelligence agency to be able to inter intercept communiques, to be able to intercept uh, radio signals phone signals, and to know exactly what's going on. And the fact that we are sitting back and we are blowing up empty buildings or uh, buildings we say contain, uh, I don't know, Iranian proxy equipment uh, is foolish, first of all. Now, I have to say it because if I don't, people uh, lose their mind out there. I am not saying, not, war is not good. We do not want to be in war with anybody. I don't want anybody's children, my own included, to be out fighting on a battlefield and dying on a battlefield somewhere. I don't want that. That's, that's absolutely our last resort. But it is a resort. It is the last resort when the enemy gives you no other choice. And that's where the use of force comes in. And I wanted you to understand that. The enemy dictates how things go. Just like in a police encounter, someone is committing a crime and an officer catches them and says, stop, put your hands behind your back, you're under arrest. The, the, the person committing the crime did the action that brought law enforcement to them. Law enforcement then takes a, a course of action. You're under arrest. At that moment, no matter who the person is, 
no matter who the person is, if they comply with that arrest, that's usually the end of it. They're arrested and they're taken to court, and that's it. If they decide they're going to resist, they're going to fight with the officer, they're going to run, they're going to try and hurt the officer, that is where it usually turns bad, and lots of times it turns bad for the suspect. Well, that same concept here. We have, how, how, many, how many do we think is okay to let go? What do you think Mr. Biden's thinking? Well, no one's gotten killed. None of our people have gotten killed. They've just blown up our stuff. What are they showing the rest of the world? And I'm not talking about, uh, you know, uh, countries like Uruguay. They're not sitting going, wow, the United States is letting them throw bombs at them. I'm not talking about them. I'm talking about our mortal enemies, the people who are just itching to tear us apart. You know, the Chinese, the Russians, the North Koreans, the Iranians, right? These people are itching to hurt America. The terrorist organizations that are out there are itching to hurt us, and they're all looking for signs of strength or weakness because, as we have said many, many times, uh, the rest of the world is not the United States of America, you know, on a, on a recent run out, uh, when I was running out one of my thoughts, I talked about the difference between good as a concept and evil as a concept. And good uh, doesn't really understand evil, so therefore can't think like evil, doesn't have the same motivations as evil, doesn't uh, offer the same solutions that evil would. Evil completely understands good and, hey, sees weakness as an opportunity to act, not as an opportunity to change its ways or to be good. All we are showing the rest of the world, especially our enemies, is our weakness. And they're showing it over and over. Now, so let, let's break that down for a minute. I said they're incompetent. I said President Biden is incompetent and his administration is incompetent and their policies are incompetent. And I think that's what's leading to all of this violence around the world. Let's say they're not incompetent, that President Biden and his, his team and everybody around him knows the right thing to do here is to respond much, much stronger to Iran because Iran is holding back Hezbollah a little bit. Uh, they could certainly release them. And then the Israelis have a two-front war uh, to fight. We still haven't given them the money that they, that they need. Uh, so that could create a bigger conflict for the world. How, when, how long do we go if Hezbollah is joined by uh, ISIS or what other other groups are out there, and they decide to to attack from the Jordanian side of the border. Now they have a three side. How long do we let our ally go before we start flying sorties off our carriers to take out some of these forces, which would directly involve us in that war? You see, that's the consequence of weakness. All right? When you're weak, it doesn't make things better. It makes things much much worse. So right now, the Iranians watching us fibble and bother around are just emboldening them to do more. So let's go back to the Biden administration. Say they're not incompetent. They all know what they should be doing. They should be sending a crystal clear covert message behind the scenes to Iran. One more attack on an American installation that we know is one of your proxies, and you will not have a navy in the morning. It'll be gone. Another bomb is flown at an American installation or American service personnel or anything to do with America's interests, and you will not have refining capability. One more goes, and we go after every uh, governmental building in your country. 
and in three days you will cease to exist. That would be the message I would send behind the scenes because that is how serious this is. And nobody wants war. But being weak and appeasing does not keep people safe. How about publicly? Could you come out and say that publicly? Now, I've heard um, several of our political class. And I have to say, I like Ron DeSantis. I do like him. I know uh, he is a rival of Donald Trump, and I like Donald Trump. I support Donald Trump. I thought he was a good president. Uh, But I like Ron DeSantis as well. I think he would be a good president. It's not his time. It is Trump's time. Uh, For the majority of Americans who are voting, Republicans, conservatives, they want Trump to have his second shot to try and do the right thing and take up where uh, he left off. When the economy was good, when we were strong, when everything was much, much better than it is today. But let's say Ron DeSantis, and and I, I don't like that there are, you know, Trump is attacking him because he is one of our futures uh, for, for American uh, strength. I, I didn't like that Ron DeSantis came out and was talking about the Mexican border, and he says, if that cartel does this and that, I will use deadly force and shoot them dead. Not because it's not what should be done, because it is. The cartel is running Mexico, not the government of Mexico. They are bringing human trafficked people, victimizing them for billions of dollars into America. They are sending drugs which kill 100,000 Americans a year. Uh, And I would certainly uh, agree that at some point we have to take some kind of serious action to stop them. Because if not, they're not going to stop right? We've warned, we've talked, we've begged, we've tried to help them. We'll we'll help them grow food. They don't want food. They want to send drugs and humans into America and make money off it. That's, That's just the truth. So at some point, you have to slap that down. And so while Ron DeSantis said that's what he would do, he would, he would, you know, attack them and kill them. I don't think as the president, you say that kind of a thing. I think you can certainly make a statement that makes it crystal clear to everyone exactly that same message without using the words, without lowering the office of president to, I will kill you. Because as the president of the United States, you could pretty much wipe out the whole world. You know, you're a superpower. I might say something like this. To the Iranian government, I want you to know that we understand you have strong feelings about things in the Middle East. This is your home. This is where you are. And there's things you'd like to see happen. I can say this as the United States, we have a great interest in the Middle East and we have allies in the Middle East, allies that we will protect. We will use all of our resources to protect our allies in the region. And let me be crystal clear, there are many, many things that we can do to protect our allies. We can do things from financial Uh, activities that could injure your country, hurt your economy, which then hurts your country in the overall. We also have many other physical types of things that we can do that would change the life you know today into something you would not want. You see how you say the same thing? It makes it clear. Same thing with the cartels. Dear Mr. Cartel Runner, You want to run Mexico, and they don't want to do anything to stop you because they can't because you'll kill them. They're afraid of you. They're corrupt. Whatever it is, it's on that side of the border. I feel horrible for the decent uh, Mexican citizens who have to live with the scourge of the cartels. I absolutely do. I feel horrible about that. 
But the reality is that's their country. And if they're not going to stand up and do anything about it, there's nothing I can do. But I would, I would not say I was going to kill every one of them. What I would say is this. You are a terrorist organization. And therefore, anything negative that you do that affects America in any way, shape, or form, you will be held absolutely accountable. And your accountability will be observed in how the United States reacts to your activity. If one more fentanyl pill comes across that border, if one more human trafficked individual is victimized and sent across the border, I will do everything in my power as the President of the United States to stop you and to dismantle your organization completely and thoroughly to protect the people of the United States. Now, that's a long-winded way of basically saying, if you don't knock it off, we're going to shoot and kill you. But you never want to go to that level, I don't think. So that's where I'm going to say I think Ron DeSantis would be a good president. I, I do think he'd be a good president. I think he's a very good uh, leader. I think he's a good man. And I think he understands what he needs to do. Articulating those things is not always easy. And I think the reason he fell into that problem of saying something like that is he's trying to, he's trying to get a rise out of the, the voting block that he needs to vote for him so he could overtake Donald Trump. I don't know that he's going to do that. Uh, but I can see that's why he did it. And that's, that's something where you got to control yourself and you have to say, what, what, what am I in here for? Am I going to take out Trump this time around? Or uh, is that not possible? Now, I get it. Anything can happen. It's a year away. You know, we're months away from the uh, actual voting in the primaries. Anything could happen. But the reality is you need to maintain yourself as a presidential individual. And that that's, that's just, it doesn't mean looking presidential or, or sounding presidential. It means comporting yourself in such a way that you give off strength and confidence to the rest of the world and to your people without having to use such bravado and type of words. Now, Donald Trump does that. He says that and everybody loves it. So what's the difference between him and and uh, Ron DeSantis. And I think the difference is because Donald Trump started out that way. He was not a politician. He's not a governor. He was just a regular kind of a person that got that ran for the office and got it. And he speaks the way he speaks. And I think he has that market cornered. Now, do I wish he would become more presidential? I do. I do. If, if I was to uh, offer any guidance to the president of the United States, to President Trump, I would certainly caution him to listen to the things he's about to say, think about the consequences of what might say, what is, what is, you know, maybe you get your message across, but maybe there's a better way to do it. That's all I would say. I've had to learn to do that in my life here on this show. There's lots of things I could say that I have to think about how I'm going to say it so that I say it appropriately. And so that I say it with the same meaning that I want it to have without being diluted. Okay. So when I say we're at war, See how, see how I tie this whole thing together? I try to tie this all together for you. When I say we're at war, it's pretty clear. We have been attacked by Iran. We have been attacked by Hezbollah. We've been attacked by ISIS. Uh, we have been attacked by Hamas. All of these government entities have attacked the United States of America, and we are allowing it to go on. Now, the hard decisions here are, of course, what is our response well, to those hostages who are suffering, and let's be crystal clear about it, you have little 
infant babies down in those caves. Do you think after they raped babies, cut their heads off, burned them alive, raped all those women, killed them, broke their hip bones and everything else in the course of raping them, killed all those people, cut their guts out, did all the horrible things they did to them. Do you think they're really treating those hostages really well? It's been a month. An American official came out from the Biden administration and said, listen, everybody, we just got to be pretty clear. We're not really sure the condition of the hostages. We're not even sure they're still alive. But we can be pretty sure that people that are as brutal as Hamas is, do you think they stopped raping those women uh, be that they took hostage? Do you think they stopped raping them uh, just because now they're hostages, so they're feeding them well, they're giving them you know, psychological support for their sexual assaults, uh, they're, they're taking care of their injuries. You think they're doing all that? You think the men, they're trying to help them, uh, let them you know, feel better and give them medical attention for any injuries they may have. And those babies, they're, they're, they're lovingly caring for those babies, those young children who are crying for their mothers every single day in a dark, dank tunnel in the middle of hell. Do you think they're treating them really well? Now, my concern goes for every one of the hostages, all the different nationals that are there, the Israelis who are there, but especially for the Americans and the American victims who are there. As an American, and I would hope as, a, as the American president, that would be my number one concern. So how do we, how do we respond? Well, we're in a very difficult spot. If we were to send our aircraft into Gaza to take out some targets like the Israelis are. That would certainly show the rest of the world that now the United States is a picking on Hamas. The United States is attacking the Palestinian people and that would change the dynamic. So that's very hard to do. Do we have special forces, brave men that are trained to do violence to evil? Could we send them in? Maybe they have. Maybe the Biden administration is absolutely competent and we have our special forces in there. I would hope because right now we can't send the regular F-16s and the F-35s and the uh, over uh, tomahawks off our ships. Right? We can't do that at the moment because it would certainly inflame the area and it would lead to more deaths of, of people in that region and to American service personnel. And it could lead to, it, it could be the kickoff uh, to these other countries like China who would then say, well, America's now tied up in this big time. We're taking Taiwan now. Uh, we're going to take uh, South Korea. We're going to help the North Koreans do that. You see what I'm saying? This is how these things springboard because this is what weakness leads to. And we are in a weak position right now. That's, that would be one of the solutions I would look at. The other thing is if we have contact with uh, Qatar and they are acting as a go-between for whatever motivations they have uh, to try and negotiate, I would negotiate through them and I would make it crystal clear that those American hostages should be produced immediately, today, or we will unleash things that they can't imagine. And again, that's, that's a lot of bravado to say it, even if I say it nicely. Uh, how do we get involved with that? What can we actually do to them that the Israelis are not already doing? They're bombing and taking them apart. But I would certainly be out there messaging every day. Where's the messaging? Where's the messaging every day from our president and from the administration? Where are our hostages? 
Get our hostages out. Give us our hostages. We'll be back in a minute. The Natural Colon Cleanse. It's the ultimate digestive tune-up with Oxy Powder. It's crafted to alleviate the discomfort of gas, bloating, and occasional constipation. There's a reason why Oxy Powder is our number one seller. It works. Go to americaoutloud.shop and get 15% off using the code OUTLOUD. Global healing, giving you the power to take control of your health naturally. The pandemic may be over for some, but millions of Americans are needlessly suffering from the long-term effects of toxic spike protein from COVID-19 and the vaccines. Fortunately, Dr. Peter McCullough and his team at the wellness company designed their spike support formula with the miracle enzyme natokinase, scientifically studied to dissolve spike protein so you can feel your very best. Go to OutLoudCare.com today and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. How can you improve your odds of staying healthy? The answer is stay healthy with Cofix Rx. Who's got time for a cold, strep, a flu, HRV, RSV, or COVID anyhow? Cofix has some great news. Besides being featured as a top five product in the drugstore news, we completed the protocol that you've heard Dr. McCullough talk about. Cofix Rx is already famous for a powerful virus-hostile nasal solution, and now we have a throat spray too. Crush those nasty germs before they become a problem. With known antiviral support ingredients like povidone iodine, xylitol, and vitamin D3, you can feel a little safer. For a limited time, when you add the new Cofix Rx throat spray to your order, you'll receive 25% off the entire purchase. Just click the Cofix Rx banner on the America Out Loud website or store. Be sure to use promo code OUTLOUD25 at checkout. Don't forget, OUTLOUD25 at checkout. Trouble getting to sleep and staying asleep is infuriating. Your mind races, you toss and turn. Nutrition company Healthy Cell created REM sleep to help you quickly fall asleep, stay asleep, and sleep deep. Unlike other supplements that don't work, REM sleep is not a pill. It's a gel you swallow with ultra-absorption of science-backed ingredients, supporting all four stages of sleep. Go to HealthyCell.com and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order, risk-free. Love it or your money back. Guaranteed. HealthyCell.com. Out loud. We are the pulse and voice of everyday American thought. AmericaOutloud.news, delivering a message of truth, inspiration, and hope to the world. Here we take on the challenges of our generation so that we can preserve future generations. Join us in the fight for liberty and justice for all. America Out Loud Talk Radio. All right, welcome back, everybody. All right, so I tried to try to put my thoughts in order there about what I would do as president, what I think we should do. The reality is weakness, my friends. I think we all see the folly of weakness. So some other things ancillary around this. Let's look at the folly of these policies, right? So let's get away from the war for a few minutes. Let's cool down on that for a minute. Let's look at California. Now, I was in San Francisco back in January 
lovely airport, very nice airport. We landed in San Francisco, and it looks cool when you're pulling in. But when you get on the streets and you're in a car driving through, it is as hellish as you can imagine. But next we have a, uh, a visit by the Chinese uh, premier, and we have a bunch of dignitaries coming to San Francisco. And Gavin Newsom, who may end up being the Democrat nominee for president, if not now, definitely he will be running for uh, 2028. Uh, he goes out and cleans up the urine, the feces, the homeless camps, the crime, the drugs, uh, the open-air horror that is most of San Francisco, especially in the areas where uh, the dignitaries are going to be. And when he was questioned about it, did you do this just because they're coming? And he said, well, yes. You know, you clean your house when people are coming. Well, what, what about the people who live there? What about the the citizens of San Francisco who are paying huge tax dollars to live in a place that's safe, which it's not. The crime is out of control. The store owners who are there trying to uh, make a living and they can't because their stores are robbed every single minute. What about them for the last several years? Didn't they deserve the same thing as Gavin Newsom looking presidential, talking to the premier of China? Right. Do you see that policy, that that dimwitted policy that makes no sense, this whole thing of equity, that we're going to let people just do whatever they want, and that's better than uh, enforcing law and enforcing health and hygiene? Because first of all, there's a second group of, group of people who are affected here. Those are those homeless people living on the streets, defecating in the streets, urinating in the streets, using drugs out in the open, ruining, destroying their lives, being involved in crime. Those are American citizens. Now, I guess the thinking goes, uh, the thinking goes that, well, if they can do whatever they want to do, if they want to shoot drugs, they should be able to shoot drugs. If they want to destroy and ruin their lives and their health and die in the street, they should be allowed to do it. And you shouldn't have anything to say about their life. That's a sick thought. That's, that's, that doesn't make any sense, you know, um, and I'm not going to put it in context of parent and child, but I guess that's one of the only ways to think of the concept. The parent looks out for the children, right? When your children say, listen, I want to run with the scissors, and what do you say? Uh, well, you know, if you run with them scissors, you could fall on them. They could stick right through you and kill you, hurt you real bad. But if you want to do it, who am I to tell you not to do it? So you say, what? No, you can't run with the scissors. And a kid throws a tantrum. I want to run with the scissors. I want to run with the scissors. You don't trust me. You don't love me. You hate me. I feel bad about myself. I can't run with scissors. Whatever nonsense that comes out of their mouth. As the adult, as the clear-thinking individual, you have to look at this and say, let me evaluate the response of this child. Does the child understand the danger to themselves? and potentially to others, by running with the scissors? No, they don't. Do they understand the physical consequences to their health and safety of running with the scissors? You say, no, they do not. Clearly, they don't understand that. So as the parent who cares about the child, do I allow them to continue to run with scissors, potentially hurt themselves, or do I say no and take the scissors away? And then if they're still not cooperative in getting the message, don't I uh, give them a timeout or some other type of punishment meant to what? Hurt them? No. Meant to educate them. 
and we should be doing the same thing with these populations we have in our country that cannot seem to take care of themselves. We let them use drugs and they end up strung out like zombies dying in the street. That is not the way a decent society teaches its, its other citizens and helps its other citizens by allowing that to happen. You go in and you clean it up. You don't allow them to have drugs. You get rid of the drugs. You give them counseling. You give them medical assistance to get over the drugs. You don't let them just do drugs. You don't give them shooting areas and needles so they can destroy their lives. What is wrong with that kind of thinking? Same thing with people being homeless. That's a terrible affliction to not have enough money to have a place to live. So what do we do? Well, why don't we take some money and build some nice housing and tell people you're not allowed to sleep on the street. You're not allowed to sleep on the street. If you do, uh, you're breaking a law because people that live here don't want you defecating on the street, urinating on the street, shooting drugs on the street. So we've built this nice place for you to live and then secure it so that they're not robbed and raped in the shelters like happens in shelters. That's why people don't want to go there. And you say, so if you'd like a place to sleep, we have a place for you to sleep that's safe. And there's some food there, there's medical help there. That I would invest in as a society. And if they say, no, I'm, I'm gonna sleep on the street, then you lock them up for a violation and you put them in jail. And they say, well, I don't wanna be in jail. Well, then don't sleep on the street. Here's where I can help you, stay here. You see what I mean? This is how we have to, we have to, we have to be the adults in the room. And we have to look at these situations and say, is it really an equitable situation to let somebody destroy their lives, live in poverty, live on the street with the crime and the filth and the disease and the drugs that are out there? Or do we only clean up the area when the people in charge might look bad because somebody else might see it and say, gee, why, why, why do you have people living in filth here in your beautiful city, right? That is a sick thing. And for, for Newsom to admit that, I think he was caught off guard because I think he realizes that if he is going to run when Biden, if Biden drops out, um, that, and he's going to step in and, you know, be Mr. President, then he's going to have to answer for what he did to a lot of the country. Now, half the country, our friends on the left, they think that's perfectly great that you let people live like that. If that's what they want to do, you leave them alone. Who the hell are you to say what they should do? And that's, that's not correct. Um, you, you can't let people hurt themselves, the mentally ill that are out there. I get the idea that back in the day, they were treated horribly in the places we had set up for them. Uh, I get it. I saw the stories. I remember as a kid watching Geraldo Rivera when he went to the uh, asylum in New York and we found all different age from young people to old people living in their own filth inside the uh, asylum. Horrific and horrible. That started the move to, hey, re-put re, re these people back in society. We can't have them in asylums. The reality is, whether people like to admit it or not, people who are mentally ill many of them can respond to treatment and medication and they can live a better life, a healthier life for them and for everyone around them. Some people, unfortunately, uh, will not. Their mental illness is so bad that they cannot, they cannot live out among society without hurting themselves or other people. And those people cannot be allowed to hurt us. Now, doesn't mean we put them in a prison-like environment. See, when criminals come out and say, we can't live among you, we're gonna rape, rob, and murder you whenever we want to, those people you lock away in a prison. 
right? Much more restrictive. But mental health situations, when someone has a mental health problem and they can't be helped because sometimes, you know what? Just like cancer, no matter how much you try and, and, and cure it, you just can't cure it because there's something wrong, right? Well, sometimes with some people with mental illness, the brain is just not right. It's not wired right, it's chemically not right. Something went wrong and they're just not gonna be right. Well, what does the compassionate thing do? Let them live on the street, hurt other people, hurt themselves? run around and, and assault people? No, that's not the right thing to do for society. The right thing to do is evaluate. This person is not safe to themselves or others. They can't make logical decisions. There's no one to take care of them, and therefore we have to take them off the street and put them in an institution where they are treated decently, where they're cared for as best as they can, and then they can't hurt themselves or other people. Now, this is where people are gonna lose their minds. Oh my God, you want institutionalized people. Think about it. What's the option? What's the option for the guy who pushes people onto the train tracks or beats someone over the skull with a hammer in New York because they are mentally deranged? Do we take that person off the street and put them in a facility where they can't hurt other people, but they will get their medicine, they'll have clean clothes, they'll have a place to live, they'll have psychologists to help them? This is another thing I would invest in, mental health. But to just let people run wild across the streets because they have a right to do that. Not if they're dangerous. That is not a correct society. Should they be treated with compassion and care? They absolutely should. But they should not be allowed out to hurt other people. It's as simple as that. So when I see Gavin Newsom make that admission... I think it's because he realizes, well, first of all, I can't have these people come and see my city uh, covered in human excrement uh, and people acting like zombies on the street from drugs and, and, and walk around with the premier of China. Can't do it. Can't do it. Even though they watch the news, too. They see it every day. It's a game. Just like, you know, every time they have a convention, they clean up the, you know, Democrat convention, they clean up the city where it's going to be. And as soon as it's over, it comes back and it's just as much of a hellhole as it was before. Well, when I see him admit that, I think it's because he had no other choice. He realized he would look ridiculous if he denied he's doing it just for this. Why didn't you do it for the past uh, 10 years? You know, when you were the mayor, when you were now you're the, the governor, why, why don't you do it then? Well, uh, yeah, it's because, uh, you know, you clean your house when people are coming over. Now, how about you maintain your house way before people come over and you try and do what's right for your neighbors and for everybody else? That's what you do, right? So I, I thought that was... Uh, an interesting turn of events. And I, I don't know if we're ever going to learn our lessons here. I don't know if our society is so far gone that we, we can't get on the same page here with understanding what's doing what right is, what that means, what decency means, and taking care of it. Because, you know, I'm going to accuse you. You just want to tell people what to do. No, I really have no interest in telling people what to do. But I do, I do have an interest in living in a decent, sane society where people are safe and where we value each other and where we are compassionate to each other. I do have a, an interest in that. And that's some of the things that adults have to make decisions, right? Adults have to make decisions. Um, you know, and, and I, like I said, I don't want to go back to the, to the saying, it's like uh, having a parent and a kid, but it kind of is that dynamic. Uh, somebody who's smarter, more experienced, understands uh, the situation and someone who does not 
and people who are strung out on drugs, who are homeless, who are mentally deranged, they cannot make good decisions for themselves or anybody else. And therefore, it is not compassionate to let them live in their own filth on the street and use drugs till they die and rape and murder and push people onto trains. That is not the decent thing to do. That is not the compassionate thing to do. There's no equity in there at all. The decent thing to do is to try and help those people. And sometimes to help them, you have to uh, move them to where they need to be. And that could be a hospital, that could be a mental uh, institution, or that could be uh, drug rehab, whatever it is. The cooler heads have to prevail, and we have to do what's right for everybody, right? Even if, especially if they can't do it for themselves. All right, so next, let me look at my next group of geniuses. So let's think about our southern border. Now, we have heard since the day Joe Biden took office that the border is secure, more secure than it ever was because it was broken under the orange man. It was horrible under the orange man. And uh, the border's not open. The border's more secure than it's ever been. Meantime, millions of people have just wandered across our border. Uh, they are released into our country. Mr. Mayorkas, the head of Homeland Security, Homeland Security, remember the agency that was started after people stole planes and, and crashed them into our buildings and attacked us in the biggest terror uh, attack uh, in, in the history of our country? Uh, remember that? Yeah. And that's why Homeland Security was started, to protect the people of the country, not to protect the people from outside the country to get in the country to get benefits and, and get all the things that they want. So here's Mayorkas. The border is wide open. The border is a nightmare. There is human trafficking, drugs that are killing 100,000 Americans, many of them, most of them young people, people you know. Everybody knows somebody who died from an overdose, right, in the last uh, 10 or 15 years. Everybody knows a family member who's lost a child to these drugs, to these horrible things, and they just let them come over the border. When he was asked the most telling question, in a hearing recently when they said, how many people from the terrorist watch list, these are the people that our government has identified that are from a, a state that sponsors terrorism or they're involved in some way with a terrorist organization, how many of them have you encountered? And I think his answer was 280. And what did you do with them? Well, they were documented and released into the country. Now, now think about that. Here's 280 Mohammed Atta's, we have identified, and we release them into the country. Horrible enough, stupid enough as that can be. Dangerous as that can be. The antithetical move of the leader of Homeland Security. Uh, let's just say that. And then he was asked, I think, the coup de grace question of all. Where are those people now, those 280 people that are from the terrorist watch list? among the millions of people that came in, and almost a million gotaways. Now, how many known terrorists on the terrorist watch list were in that million that got away that we don't know who they are? Who knows? Let's just say, if you said 10%, you'd, it'd be crazy because that would be 100,000. So let's say 1%, right? 1% of those people uh, that came in were terrorists. So let's say now we have three to 400 terrorists uh, from the terrorist watch list roaming our country. And he was asked the question, the head of Homeland Security was asked the question, where are those people now? How do we go find them if we had to find them right now? 
Uh, I don't have an answer to that. I'm not sure. Are they in the country? Well, they very well might be out of the country. Why would you think they'd be out of the country? Why would they come here just to leave? Because he didn't know. Because he's not concerned about it. This is a danger to every single person, whether you're a rock-ribbed, all-American conservative or you're an anti-American, hating, progressive liberal. Every one of us is in danger by these people from the terrorist watch list that the head of Homeland Security has no idea where they are. They're not monitored. We don't know where they are. They could be in any city in America. They could be forming cells. They could be meeting other people. They could be uh, radicalizing people. They could be gathering weapons. They could be gathering explosives. They could be plotting. They could be doing all kinds of things. We don't even know where they are. This person should not be in charge of Homeland Security. It is... It is crystal clear. I mean, there's, there's, if you had a guy in charge or a girl in charge of the finances of the country and they didn't understand uh, money markets, they didn't understand economies, you wouldn't have them in charge. That would be pretty stupid, kind of like the people we have in charge that really don't understand money or economies, which is why we have the economy we have now. But that's a whole nother argument. Let's stay with Homeland Security. You know, the thing that deals with um, somebody flying another plane into a building where you either working, your child are working, your wife is working, your husband, your significant other is working, uh, blowing up a train, knocking down a bridge that has thousands of people on it, uh, blowing up the tunnels in a city where people are on the trains, uh, doing all kinds of horrific things to American citizens. This person should know everything about that. That should be their waking uh, desire. Every minute is to know How do I keep that from happening again? I don't see that with Mayorkas. Therefore, he should not be there. So finally, finally, somebody is taking notice, right? And you noticed all the heightened awareness. If you see something, say something. Uh, The FBI director, as genius as he is, what's he say? Uh, We're under heightened alert now for terrorism based on what's going on all over the world. Uh, And we're seeing these riots at campuses all over the place. And we're seeing this uh, pro-Hamas feeling everywhere, you know, the terrorist group pro-Hamas. We're seeing that everywhere. Uh, We're definitely under a bigger threat of a terrorist attack here. Um, That seems to be the consensus. Now we're all just waiting for the other shoe to drop, or for the dynamite to be lit, or the dirty bomb to go off, or the airplane to crash, or whatever's going to happen. But somebody finally said, this guy has to go. We're, we're, we're joking around here with ourselves. We're playing a game. We're pretending we're being just as incompetent as he is in his job by not getting rid of him. So I think it was uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene um, came up with a... Um, a movement to have him impeached. She had articles of impeachment. Let's go. And they had a vote. And I think he was not impeached. He was not held up for impeachment because all the Democrats said, no, he's doing a great job. Just like, you know, the economy people, the Democratic economy people are doing a great job. And, you know, all of that is excellent, right? We see how excellent it is. Um, the energy secretary, look at all the energy we got and look at how much cheap it is, right? Everything's great under all these people. 10 or 12 or maybe even more Republicans voted with the Democrats 
to defeat the motion to impeach this man. This is why I am really more concerned for our future than ever. This is these, and I looked at some of the names, and I wouldn't say rhino to every single one of them, but I would certainly say right now stupid. Um, do you not see what the American people want you to do is to protect the country, and you now have the House of Representatives, even if it goes no further in the Senate, make the stand take a stand. This guy is incompetent and he is dangerous to everybody's family. Impeach him. Have a trial. Ask the questions. But 10 or 12, maybe even more Republicans voted no. And that is another reason our country is going to hell in a handbasket. We have people in the Republican side who are stupid or they are doing things for reasons other than protecting America. Um, I don't know. Ex I, can't ima I can't even imagine why you would not look at what this man has done or not done, the danger he's put us all in, and say he's got to go. Time for him to go and vote to impeach him. Now, that goes to other things we've looked at in the past, right? When our Democrat friends, our friends on the left, when they have a message that goes out from their leadership, every single one of them, follows the message. They listen to the message. They repeat the message. They stand in lockstep, whether they agree or not. Man, they are doing it. And that's why they bully and run roughshod over the whole country, over your rights, over everything else. But our friends on the right, our Republican friends, we couldn't pick a speaker for three and a half weeks. We have all these... Okay, that's over now. We've picked a speaker. We just had one of our biggest opportunities to make a stand for the American citizens say, this guy Mayorkas is not safe. He is not good. We have to send the message. He has got to go. And they voted with the Democrats. How could you vote with Democrats and call yourself a Republican? So after the stories, when you read these stories, sometimes if you go down to the end of the story, after the 85 million ads at the end of the story, there's usually places for people to write in and they can comment. They could say things about the story, what they think and what they believe. And I went to the end of this article and I, I looked at the comments. And the commentary was, I would have to say, uniform. It was, it was pretty consistent all the way down the road. Uh, people are saying, what the hell's wrong with these people? Every one of them should be voted out of office. Why would they vote with the Democrats? We finally get a chance to run things, to do things the way we think it should be done correctly. And we end up voting with the people who are destroying the country anyway, putting us in danger, destroying our economy, ruining our, uh, our energy sector, right? Why would you vote with them? Why would you vote with them? Why don't you vote as a block to do what the people want? And that's what I'm telling you. The, the comments in this whole thing where people are frustrated, they are more than frustrated with our Republican Party. Um, and this is what keeps happening, keeps happening, keeps happening. You know, we have these votes and then six Republicans vote with all the Democrats and change it. Anybody that does that should be primaried and removed. It's as simple as that. The American people have spoken. We want a conservative, strong House of Representatives. We want you to stand up for us, for the American people, for the Constitution, and for our rights. And if they don't do that, they should be primaried and removed.
Boy, that's annoying to have to see that. It's annoying to see that time and time again. When we look at that and we see, we see a move like that by our friends on the right, our friends on the right who, who do stupid kind of things, you have to wonder where is this all going to lead? Where is this all going to lead us to? Where is this going to lead our future to if we, if we finally are given an opportunity to lead and we can't lead? We won't lead. We argue like a bunch of idiots instead of getting in a room and saying, okay, what does the American people want us to do and how do we do it? And then look to your leadership, to people you voted for, and let the leadership guide you. We're going to vote to get rid of this guy. Yeah, but it's never going to happen in the Senate. Who cares? Make a statement. Make a stand. He's got to go. Put it on record that he's being impeached because he's horrible. He's dangerous. And our country is not safe with him or people who think like him. All right. So, you see, you got me all wound up now. Uh, we're, coming, we're coming to the end of our visit today. Um, and I was looking through something else um, you know, I, I haven't been following the uh, Taylor Swift and the Kelsey, uh, Kelsey uh, love affair. You know, I, I'm not as affected by it as some people. Some people are losing their mind. Who cares? Young guy, young girl, rich, beautiful. They're in love with each other. They're showing each other affection. Who the hell cares, right? Get, get off that. Don't worry about it. That's cultural, cultural rot. Um, but one of the things that we're seeing over and over again is that we're, we're not, we don't seem to have this moral compass. We, we have our campuses across the university system in America and across the world. We have thousands of our, of our American kids out there acting and saying anti-Semitic things, not, not quietly, not in the dead of night, not putting a swastika on a building under the cover of darkness. They're out holding signs and flags of terrorist organizations who did horrible things and they're being supported by the leadership. This is a, one of the clearest indicators of the lack of a moral compass. And even worse than that, one thing if we were just had no moral compass, we, we do and have had a moral compass. What we have is now a broken moral compass, which does not point us in the right direction. All of these things will lead us to ruin over the course of time. I have said this once, I've said it a thousand times. The way we're going is not sustainable. It's not healthy. It's not wholesome. It's not good. And it's not American. So each and every one of us better think about this as we roll into the holiday season and everybody wants to have fun and love each other and all their wonderful things. Think about where we're going and what we're doing. And remember, be a part of the solution, not a part of the problem. We'll see you next time.